You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. We're talking about Parsha Chaye Sarah, from Abraham and Sarah to Yitzchak and Rivka. And the Parsha is really the changing of the guard, a new generation. Uh, the previous one passes away, the new one comes in, and we'll see the end of the lives of Abraham and Sarah and the building of Yitzchak's uh, future. So the Parsha is called Chaye Sarah, which literally means the life of Sarah, and yet it talks about her passing away, her death. And the sages say from here we see a powerful message that for the righteous, even after they've passed away, it's, they're still living. How? Through their deeds which, and teachings which impact others, and through the children, through the legacy that we leave for those who come after us. And there's a tragic element to this story, which is that some of the commentators, the rabbis, say that it comes right after the binding of Isaac because Sarah was so traumatized after hearing that Abraham might have taken Yitzchak's life that she passes away. Nachmanides says these events are not one right after the other, but it still might have had such an impact on her, leading to her decline. Abraham eulogizes her in the uh, text Leave Kota, the Chaf is written in small letters. Some of the letters of the Torah are written small. Why is that? Because imagine, we see Sarah at uh, 65 uh, years old, and for the next 62 years, her saga with her husband, they were married even before that, and we can't even imagine the closeness between them and the loss to Abraham. And yet it says the chaf is small because great spiritual personalities know that even though there's pain in the loss, that Sarah's soul was going on to the next dimension of existence. And so their mourning is abated by the knowledge of that spiritual reality. Abraham then sets about buying a plot for Sarah, for her burial. And according to some, this is the last test of Abraham, because we see that they're going to try and take advantage of him in his moment of grief. And he goes to Machpelah, he goes to Hebron to buy the plot. The Menei Chet, he asks the locals, I'd like to bury amongst you. And they say, sure, of course, come, bury, bury your dead. But he says, no, I want to buy this specific plot. Who owns it? And it's a person named Ephron. So first, Ephron is uh, very gracious, of course, whatever you want, it's good, then Abraham insists on paying. And why is that? Because he doesn't want there to be any question that this is not his plot and not his land. And he said it has to be done in front of the people. That's how deals were finalized. There wasn't necessarily a contract written, but there were witnesses to it. And it's very interesting and puzzling and perhaps something to think about. The three places in the Torah that describe being bought by the Jewish people, Hebron by Abraham, Jerusalem by King David, and Shechem by Yaakov are all flashpoints where Jewish presence has always been a struggle. Something to think about. So he says to them, Ger v'toshav anochi, I am a stranger and a dweller. And Rabbi Soloveitchik accentuates this 
expression to show that as Jews, yes, we are part of society, we're part of a country, yet at the same time we are Gerim, we are strangers, we're apart. And that's why Abraham needed to bury Sarah apart, because we have our own path and our own spiritual heritage. And let's talk about Machpelah. Machpelah is, uh, today, there's a Herodian structure built 2,000 years ago, an enormous uh, stone structure built in the middle of Hebron. And we know already, a few hundred years later, when the Jewish people sent spies to reconnoitre the land, Kalev uh, went to pray on the graves of the patriarchs and matriarchs. That's how old the tradition of going there and praying there is. Now, why this spot? Why did Avram choose this spot? What does Machpelah mean? It means double. Double what? So it could either mean the couples who were buried there, the patriarchs and matriarchs, and Adam and Eve. So double can also mean double cave, a two-part cave, one above the other. And the Talmud says that Adam and Eve are buried in the lower one, and the patriarchs are buried in, in the other one. And, uh, and because of that, it's one of the four holy cities of the Jewish people. Um, and it is the oldest Jewish site in existence in the world, in the land of Israel. Uh, now, it was uh, tragically, Jews could not pray there for close to 2,000 years. The Arabs would not, and the Ottomans would not let us pray. And there, were, um, there was a spot at the corner with six steps where Jews were relegated to, to pray outside. In 1929, uh, there was a pogrom, a massacre of the Jews of Hebron, and over 60, 65, 66 were killed along with yeshiva students. And after that uh, terrible uh, murder, the British forcibly evacuated the rest of the Jewish community, saying they weren't safe there. And it wasn't until 1967, during the Six-Day War, after Jerusalem was conquered, the, the Israeli army was um, gathering to take Hebron, and uh, Rabbi Shlomo Goran, the chief rabbi, legendary chief rabbi of the Israel Defense Forces, who later became the chief rabbi of Israel, was with them. And he said, I'm going with you. He was always on the front lines. He was fearless. He was a paratrooper. And he and his driver drove and they got ahead of the army, unbeknownst to him. He thought there were other troops coming in from other spots. As he drove in, they didn't know what to expect. There were white flags and white sheets out of every window. The Arabs were terrified that the Jews would take revenge for 1929. And so he drove into the town. There was no resistance. He goes to the center of the town, shoots his machine gun into the air, and says, I officially declare this town uh, reclaimed by the Jewish people. And then he went into Machpelah. There was a lock. He was breaking, they were breaking down the door and the caretaker came and gave him the key. He entered and he immediately prayed there and set up a synagogue. And that's the first thing he did. And afterwards, Moshe Dayan, as had been done in Jerusalem, wanted to turn over the uh, the, the jurisdiction of this holy spot back to the Arabs, the Muslims, and Rabbi Goran made a campaign of this. 
he called up Dayan and said, don't you dare do this. This place is the historical heritage of the Jewish people. And he put his foot down. He spoke to David Ben-Gurion and many others, and it was kept in Jewish hands. And unfortunately, in Jerusalem, the Temple Mount was given back to the Arab jurisdiction. And uh, to this day, though, the Jewish way is that the compromise reached was that Machpelah, Hebron, the holy spot, is shared between the Jews and the Arabs. And there's some rooms separated for the Muslims, some for the Jews. And uh, 14 days a year, I believe, on the holidays, or 20 days a year, it's all Arab or all Jewish trading for their holidays. This is how it was set up. So it says that Abraham was now old. He was coming in years. And Ba'yamim. What does that mean? He came with his days. The rabbis say that for Abraham, his days were full. Every day for him was a spiritual journey. Every day was full of spiritual growth, of serving the Almighty. And it says God blessed him with everything. Some, some say that that meant a daughter. Um, but uh, Abraham, as he's getting older, realizes that he needs to make sure that Isaac will be married. And Isaac now is in his 50s, uh, somewhere around there. He's an older single. Okay, the phenomenon is not new. And he sends his servant. He says to his servant, please take an oath that you will go find a wife for my son, not amongst the locals. It has to be from my birthplace and my land. And we are Arameans. Abraham was originally from uh, Aram, which is northern Syria, Kurdistan, uh, that area. And he says that you have to bring her back here. They have to live in the land of Israel. And he says, the God who brought me out of, uh, from my land and who brought me here and promised this land, he will send an angel before you. You will have God's guidance in this. And so the first lesson we learn about Shiduchim, about getting married, is you have to look for God's guidance. The second thing is, when his servant Eliezer arrives in Aram, he prays. That's the first thing he does, is he prays to God, asks God to help find him the right person. So second element of finding the right person with Shiduchim is to pray. And he then says, the woman who comes out and water, offers me water and waters my camels, that will be the woman for Isaac, for my master's son. Now, it's very strange. We walk into a singles event and say, the girl with the red scarf or the guy with the green tie, God, show me that person. That will be the person who I will marry. We're not supposed to test God to make God show us signs even a question when you, whether you can rely upon signs. And sure enough, she comes out, she, he says, you know, can I have water? She brings it to him and she offers the water to uh, his camels. She waters his camels as well. And so, and then he knows it's the right girl. He asks her, what family are you from? Betuel, sure enough, it's Abraham's nephew and uh, Abraham's cousin, uh, and so uh, the deal is sealed. Sorry, Avram's nephew, correct. Now, 
Um, so the third element is that this was not a random sign he was asking for. He was saying that the woman, the girl, who shows the good qualities of generosity, of hospitality, of caring for others, of empathy for a traveler and for his animals, that will be the sign that she is the right person. So the third lesson is that the first thing we look for in another person is their qualities, is their personality, is their good character traits. So uh, he gives her the jewelry and Rashi says that he gave it to her even before finding out whose family she was from. According to other commentaries, Chizkuni and Bechoshar, no, he asked, uh, what family are you from? When he found out that she was from Avram's family, then he gave it. And uh, they, Avram and Rivka and Yitzchak were cousins. And uh, in Judaism, it's allowed to marry cousins. But another message is that people ask, opposites attract. Someone from another background is exotic. Is that good? And one of my teachers said that actually... It's better to find someone who has a similar background because there's already so many things to bridge between two people that as much shared in common is good. So, um, so he's brought back to her home and Lavan, the brother, comes out to meet him. And he sits down, he offers him food, he said, no, first I'm going to tell you, explain to you what's going on. And so... We see, even before food, he took care of business, so to speak. This was so important to him, he got right to it. And uh, there's certain things that are peculiar about this. Um, why did the brother come out before the father? And then it says he gives more gifts to the brother and the mother. Uh, the father still isn't seem to be very involved. And But they say, we agree... Uh, that seems that this is from heaven. And so the Evid, he bows down to the Almighty again, showing gratitude to God. So another important point is, after you do find the right person, gratitude towards the Almighty, uh, towards the person who did the arrangement, uh, there's a custom to give them a very significant gift. Uh, the next morning they wake up, and all of a sudden the brother and the mother say, well, you know... Uh, the, the servant says, I'm ready to go. We, you know, we made this agreement. Let's, let's move ahead. And they say, well, let her stay a few days, a while. They start delaying. They start playing games. And he says, no, uh, we have to go. And they say, well, let's ask the girl. And he says, agreed. They ask Rivka. She wants out of there. The rabbis tell us that love on her brother, that that home was not a good home. And, um, and they set out back to the land of Canaan. And the final scene is the encounter between uh, Yitzchak and Rivka. It says that she approaches and a man comes out, Lesuach Basadeh. What is Lesuach? Um, in essence, it could mean to pray, but it really means to meditate. And this is the characteristic of Yitzchak. Very spiritual internal personality, spiritual power. And it says she fell off the side of her camel. The rabbis say she hid behind the camel to, because of her modesty, but you could say that she was knocked off her feet as well. Right? Um, and 
when she comes to him, she covers her face in modesty. And it says that uh, he took her into the tent of Sarah, his mother. And the rabbis say that there were three miracles that occurred in Sarah's tent. That the Shabbat candles stayed lit all week. And that the challah stayed warm all week. And that the, the cloud, the sign of the divine presence was there all week. Those three miracles returned to the tent when Rivka came in. In other words, she continued, she had the potential to continue the spiritual legacy of Sarah, her mother-in-law, who she never knew. And that's why it said Sarah's tent. And it said, and he loved her. Uh, and she became his wife. He married her. And he loved her. So... This is one model of Jewish dating, that the wedding is done, the shidduch is done, the match is done, according to two people who can build a home, who can build together. And that true love, the real deep love, only comes after the commitment, only comes after the shared life with, uh, with that intensity. Um, and so that's why first they got married, and then he loved her. What's before that? Infatuation, attraction, excitement, not the deep love, which would be between Yitzchak and Rivka. And then it said Yitzchak was consoled over the loss of his mother. And I guess you could ask Dr. Freud about that uh, on a very simple level. Uh, the feminine presence was missed in the home, and now it had returned. The final scene, Parsha, Avraham and uh, Avraham remarries. And he remarries Keturah, who is a Pelegish, uh, not a full wife. And it says he had children with her, but he gave all the inheritance, all the destiny of the Jewish people to Yitzchak, and he sent away the children of Keturah to the east with gifts. Did he send them away so they wouldn't influence Yitzchak, like Ishmael was sent away, perhaps? Or were they sent away because um, uh, because the inheritance was Yitzchak's and they needed to find their own place. The Zohar says they were sent with spiritual gifts. Where were they sent? To the east. And some people say Brahmins comes from the word Abraham. The similarities between Eastern religions and Torah and Kabbalah might be from these spiritual gifts that Abraham sent to the east. And it says then Abraham passes away Beseva Tova Zaken with full old age, Vesavea, and he was satisfied. Once again, showing the fullness of his life, both materially and spiritually. He died in peace, and he was gathered unto his people. The Torah is very uh, circumspect about talking about the afterlife, but this is one of the places where it indicates that there is a belief in an afterlife. How else are you gathered unto your people? Um, if not the soul rejoining those of his ancestors. And uh, it says that Yitzchak and Yishmael buried Abraham. And here the rabbis learn that Yishmael, in the end of his life, did tshuva. He repented. He allowed his brother Yitzchak to take precedence, showing he understood that Yitzchak was the one who would really carry on Abraham's legacy. And they buried Abraham in Machpelah with Sarah. And the final paragraph talks about the generations of Ishmael. Ishmael had 12 sons. 
uh, who would become 12 nations, 12 tribes, fulfilling the promise to Abraham when Yishma was sent out of the home that he too would become a great nation. And it said, Yishma also is gathered unto his people, a further sign that he did tshuva. So a powerful parsha, the changing of the generations, and the beginning of the second generation of the saga of our patriarchs and matriarchs. Have a good evening.